are starting a brand new series today called Building Better Relationships. My voice just cracked. Building Better Relationships. All right, a little more power there. So good to see you this morning. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. And again, we just want to welcome uh, uh, Pastor Jason for being with us this morning. We're excited about all that the Lord has for him, for his wife Angie. Many of you will get to meet her next week as she's homesick with the kids, as Randy told you. We're excited about, uh, about them being on board with us here at Eagles View Church and all that the Lord is going to do in our church this upcoming year. Well, thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for putting the Lord first in worship by being here to worship the Lord. What a great time of worship that we've had. Over the next few weeks, what we're going to be taking a look at is we're going to be taking just a closer look at our relationships. We want to take a look at the condition of our relationships. And as the new year is starting off, you know, one of the things that I'll just have to tell you as a pastor, one of the things that's been definitely heavy on my heart has been the condition of our relationships. The condition of relationships, maybe relationships between husband and wife, could be relationships between friends, could be just the context of relationships between folks within our own church family. Uh, and, and, and I just, you know, we, we, at the beginning of the year, we always... We always think about all these things that we want to change, things that we want to change about ourselves, and a lot of times it has a lot to do, as we mentioned last week, with kind of maybe our outward parents or appearance, or we want to lose weight, we want to feel better, this and that. And but you know, one of the things that I think that that if we see our relationships begin to have a touch from God, we begin to see a number of changes in so many other areas. And you just need to know that the status of our relationships is big. The status of our relationships with God is a big thing, whether it's the relationship, again, between a husband and wife, or between parents and children, or between friends or, or, or fellow church members or people that you work with. Relationships are big and important to the heart of God. And, and because they are important to the heart of God, you need to know that things that matter most to God those are things that our enemy, our, our spiritual enemy, Satan, he will absolutely go after and attack the things that matter to the heart of God. We are made for relationships. And, and, and you know, one of the things we're going to do is just kind of take a look over these coming weeks at maybe some things that can cause some, some fractures or some cracks within the foundation of our relationships. If you've lived in Texas for any amount of time, you know that it's very easy for a house to get foundation problems. And when foundation problems happen within a house, you know that it can cause all kinds of other problems. How many of you have had a house that's had some foundation problems? Anybody out there? Okay, lift your hands up. Okay, well, Hope and I did. We, uh, we had a house that we lived in for about 10 years, uh, and we just moved just a couple of years ago. It hasn't even been two years yet. But we lived in this house, and, uh, and, and it was a great house that the Lord provided for us. Uh, there were there, we started several years ago. Started getting some cracks in the walls. We noticed that the doors were kind of not closing properly, and and uh, we decided that we were going to go ahead and move and take advantage of the housing market that was out there at the time. And so, in doing so, you 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 kind of start noticing things in your house that maybe you've gotten used to. And we even had put some some aesthetic kind of. Uh, you know, patches on some of the walls, and it kind of fixed some things up. And, and what happens whenever you do that, if you don't really get to the root of the problem, um, it, it just ends up kind of cracking again, right? And you end up dealing with the same thing. And that's what happened to us over and over again. It'll look okay on the outside for a little while. And so uh, I think we also started noticing a lot of things that were going wrong as we were trying to, st that were wrong with our house, because as we were trying to sell our house, we noticed that other people were telling us all the things that were wrong with our house. You can get used to the things that are in your house, right? You can get used to the way things look. You don't see things maybe the way that, that, you, that you, you know, would see them if you had a fresh set of eyes. And I think that this happens all of the times within our relationships is that we can get even used to the dysfunction. We can try to fix things on the outside and try to make them look all good and make, try to make everybody else think that we've got it all together and that our relationships are okay and we can come in here with a big smile on our face. But really, you know, whenever the, the dry months come, just as in a house, if you just fix the, the external things and you don't actually get to the root of the problem, when those dry months come and the house begins to settle, the cracks are going to reemerge. The same thing happens in our relationships if we don't get to the root of what's causing the cracks in the foundation to begin with. 
So Hope and I, we had a guy come in. It was a guy that's in our church. He came in and he took a look at some things that were going on within our house. And he had to dig up underneath our house and do a whole bunch of work to try to get things balanced out and leveled off and and discovered that there was some roots from a tree that a neighbor had that were kind of causing some problems on one end. And he told us how much this was going to cost. And and, and, and bottom line is, is there was a lot more that needed to be done than just patching the walls. I mean, there was all kinds of things that needed to happen. And uh, in this series that we're going to look at, what we're going to pray for, for, for all of us, including myself, is that, is that we're going to get to the root of maybe what could cause some cracks in the foundation of our relationships. And we don't just want to do the little aesthetic repair. We don't want to just make things look okay so everybody in the community thinks that you've got it all together or, you've, or your family has it all together or our church has it all. We want to get to the root of what could cause, potentially cause, some of the cracks in the foundation of our relationships. And we want to get a little deeper than just a surface repair. And we're going to dig in with God's Word. If you have your Bibles, look with me in Galatians chapter 5. We need to get to the source of the problem. Now, we're not going to study this whole book of Galatians, but we are going to go through this chapter, chapter 5 here, and uh, take a look at this. I want to start off by getting to the root of our problem. And, and if you know anything about the book of Galatians, you know that Paul has written this book to a group of churches that were in this region in Galatia. They were new churches, and they were people just like we are people, and they had started a church in, in, in a totally unchurched, unchristian area, and, and now Paul is trying to help them grow in their faith. Now, one of the problems that they had is they had a group of people that were coming in, and uh, they, were, they were, uh, were Jews who were coming in and saying, yes, it's good that you know Jesus as your Savior now, that's, that's okay, but you need to add some works, and you need to do these certain things in order to be accepted by God. And what Paul is doing is he is refuting all of that, and he is trying to emphasize God's grace in our lives and God's grace in the lives of those in this church in Galatia. And when we begin to understand God's grace in our lives, guys, it begins to affect the way that we live our life. When we live our life in, in, in light of God's grace, it affects everything, including our relationships. And, and, and so this morning, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to, just to kind of do that assessment in our own lives, to look at us, to look within ourselves and to see, is there something that's going on that the Holy Spirit needs to speak to us about? Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13, here's what the Word of God says. It says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. So we know that he's talking to a group of believers here. But he says, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to do what? Say it with me, church. To do what? To serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Wouldn't it just turn our world upside down and turn our families upside down and our, our community and our church if we actually loved other people as much as we love ourselves, right? I mean, it would, and this is what Jesus is, is, is taught. He said, we looked at this a few weeks back where he said, this is what it's about, is loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving other people. It's all about relationships. And, and here's what he's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 15, though, he says, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, we're going to come back to that in a few minutes, but if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. And then say this last part with me out loud. What does he say? Beware of what? Of destroying one another. Okay? Of destroying one another. So the Bible teaches some basic things. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these things down this morning. These are some important things to the heart of God. Number one, number one is that nothing matters more than our relationships. There's not anything that matters more than that. Nothing matters more than our relationships. The Bible makes it very clear. Paul makes it clear in the book of Galatians as well as in many other books that the reason that we have God's grace is so that we can, first of all, have a relationship with God, right? Jesus has paid for all of our sin. We can now have a, a relationship with God, not religion, but a, but a living relationship with Him. 
And in, in light of that grace, what he's told us to do is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, then he said this, you're also to love other people. Now, what's that about? That's about our relationships with other people. And so there's nothing that matters more to the heart of God than our relationships, our relationship with him and our relationship with other people. And, and the, the scripture teaches that clearly these things, this part of our relationship is far more important than anything else that's going on in your life. It's more important than anything else is happening in your life, be it uh, how much money you're going to make in this upcoming year or, or how maybe you, you're going to become a famous person this year or maybe, uh, you know, maybe you're going to get a, a new, some more prestige because you're going to get a promotion or you're going to have this and, and, you're, and, and all of those things. There's not anything wrong with making money this year. There's not anything wrong with getting a better job or, or being promoted within your job. We hope those kinds of things happen. But here is the thing. If your relationships are not right, one, your relationship with God, as well as your relationship with other people, all of those things really don't matter that much. I mean, they re- your whole life can fall apart uh, despite of all, the, all those other things if your relationships aren't right. Let me just give you an example just to kind of prove my point. You can have all the money in the world. You can be famous. You can be prestigious. And, and you, can, you can have your own video game, you know, like, uh, let me give you two words, Tiger Woods, okay? And this is not to pick on this guy or to beat him up because he's been beat up uh, quite a bit this past year in 2010. But I can't think of a more contemporary illustration of someone who had it all. This guy had everything that the world had to offer him. And, and our hearts, honestly, our hearts should break for him and should break for his family because what we saw happen was we saw a man who had everything that the world has to offer, but what was wrong? One, a relationship with God was not there. We know that he he doesn't worship the Lord, but we also know this is that his relationship was not right with his wife. His relationships were messed up. And it affected everything. We saw all the other things begin to fall apart around him whenever these, these things were exposed and these things were brought to light. And again, this isn't to beat him up today, okay? We should pray for them. We should pray for their family because it's a family that's been hurt, a family that's gone through a lot of things. And, and, and the thing is, is that there are a number of people within our own congregation, within our own community, that have gone through a lot of the same kinds of things. So we don't cast judgment upon that. Our heart aches because relationships matter. Relationships are important. So nothing matters more than our relationships. Uh, nothing more is more important to the heart of God than our relationship with Him and with other people. The Bible also teaches us something. If you're taking notes, write this second thing down. Here's what we also find in God's Word, is that our relationships are distorted because of sin. Our relationships are distorted. They are damaged because of sin. Because of sin. And, and the thing is, is that every single one of us that's here this morning, we all have some imperfections. We all have flaws. We've all blown it. We've all made some mistakes. We've all said things that hurt other people. There are no perfect relationships because there are no perfect people. There are no perfect marriages because there are two people in that relationship that are imperfect. There are no perfect churches, so if you're out there trying to find the perfect church, don't go there. And if you find it, don't go there because you'll mess it up, right? Because you're not perfect. And, and, and so the, thing, the point is, is that we're all messed up, right? We're all messed up. We all have sin. And, and, and we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning. The, the sin that is in our life, the sin nature that we battle with, it, it affects everything, including our relationships. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 Verse 20 says this. Will you read this with me out loud? Let's say it out loud as a congregation. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. And all the women said what? Amen, right? (laughs) Um, But here's the deal. We're all first-class sinners, right? I mean, we've got the sin thing down. We know what we're doing. We don't even have to be taught how to do it. It comes naturally for us, right? Doesn't it come natural for us to be selfish? And for us to naturally kind of turn our focus inward on, on ourselves. And, and so our relationships, because of sin, they are marred because we are marred. Every human being who's here this morning, you have a desire that God has built within you to have meaningful relationships. It's a desire that God has created you with. God is, is relational. We are created in the image of God. Therefore, you are relational. 
But the problem is, is that God is perfect and holy, and so God, uh, God maintains His relationship, and we, we see images of this through the Trinity and through others. But, but the, the thing with us is that we are sinful, and so we hurt each other. And, and, and we don't think about each other often. We're oftentimes thinking of ourselves. And no matter how much we try to fix things on our own, no matter how much we try to understand one another and we try to do this, do you realize that whenever it's all upon our own power, do you realize that most of the time it just doesn't work out? Have you seen that? And I mean, no matter how many times we kind of try, we still have relationship problems. I said this in the first service. My wife and I hope, she's not in here on this service, she's serving in the children's area, but Hope and I will be coming up on our 19-year anniversary, and uh, that's coming up this upcoming year. And it's hard to believe that Hope has put up with me for two decades now. Amen? All right? And uh, that got a big amen in the first service, and I appreciate you guys not being as vocal, okay? Those have been the best years of of my life, there's no doubt. But I want to just confess this before you. I've told you this before as a pastor. Those have been, some years have been some really hard years in our relationship. I'm just being honest. Um, Because you've got two people that are not perfect. And yes, we are called into ministry. And and yes, we we try to live at 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 a certain standard because we need to be an example for other people. But I'm just telling you, we're flawed. And we're, we, we make mistakes. And when Hope and I are, are living by the sin nature, and we both struggle with the sin nature, and I said in the first service, Hope struggles a little bit more than I do, but um, you, know that's not, you know that's garbage, right, okay? I struggle a lot more than she does. But here's the thing. When sin nature, our sin nature, either in one of us or in both of us, is dominating in some way, it gets ugly. Can I get an amen for some of you as well? You understand. Our dog goes and hides whenever it gets like that, and it can get that way around our house sometimes. Um, it, it was especially difficult in the first couple of years of our marriage. There was a lot of frustration because you've got two people that are coming together, and there's all kinds of different thoughts on how to do life together and different backgrounds and and, you know, and so we come together, and, 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 and we're, it was really hard the first couple of years in our marriage. There was a lot of frustration. But, but I'll tell you this. You know what's even more frustrating now? I mean, there's a lot of frustration even now is that we are more mature physically, more mature emotionally. We're more mature spiritually. But I want you to know that when sin begins to creep into each of our hearts, we still have a lot of the same problems. They come up over and over again. It's like... Where did that come from? And we look at each other like, what planet did you get off of? You know, and it's kind of like that. And, and, and uh, our, our relationships can frustrate us. Now, now we're able to kind of at least begin to understand that if there is a problem there, it's because one of us is being selfish in some way. All right? And we can at least, it may take us a little while to get there, but we finally can come to that. Now, in the beginning, we just didn't understand. And we were just mad. And then we lived mad for a long time, you know. And, and, and so our relationships can be frustrating. We get frustrated. Some of you are very frustrated this morning by a relationship that has gone south in some way. It could be a marriage relationship. It could be a relationship with a child that is not going well right now. It could be a relationship that you have with your mom and your dad. And you're struggling right now with that relationship or with a step-parent or, or whatever it may be for you. It could be with someone that you work with. Or, or someone that you go to school with and you're struggling with a friend or maybe it's with a fellow believer. Even within a church family, we get crossways with one another. You're struggling in your relationships. It's frustrating. We get frustrated by this. The reality is this, is, is we wonder what, what happened there. Where did this go south? Well, the reality is that there are two natures that are existing inside of those of us who are Christ followers. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior absolutely you need to know this, that the Spirit of God does live inside of you. You've been given the Spirit of God, and you are, you've been given this, this, uh, this power from God, the resurrection Spirit of a holy living God that lives inside of you. But I don't know if you realize this, there's still a battle that's going on with our flesh. Are you with me? There's this battle that, that is going on constantly between our new nature and our new spirit that lives within us and this battle of the old flesh. Paul calls it the old man, okay? And uh, I don't know why man comes up so much in this. You ladies are, are, are probably noticing that. But here's what he says. Go back with me to, to Galatians 5. Look with me in verse 16. Here's what Paul says to them. 
in, in, spite of, in, in, in light of all of God's grace, here's what he says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. I think that's an interesting word because we crave it, don't we? We crave these things. We crave selfishness. And he says the sinful nature, it wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Will you read this last uh, verse with me out loud or this last sentence? Say it with me out loud, church. What does it say? These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. There's a war going on within each of us if you're a believer. There's a war that is happening. The Bible tells that the tells us that the reason that we have relationship problems is because we have a sinful nature. You didn't have to teach your kids how to sin, did you? Nobody had to teach you how to sin. Nobody had to teach you how to lie. But it comes natural for us. It's part of, of what we're born with, this ability that, that we have. And, and I just want to just say this, okay? You don't have to teach your kids or yourself. Nobody had to teach you how to be selfish in any kind of way, did they? Nobody had to teach you that. Um, I, I tease about this all the time, but I'm pretty sure that, that my daughter, Trinity, she's not in here. I'm pretty sure that uh, in her, uh, in, uh, whenever she first started talking there, her first word, I'm pretty sure it was mine. I'm pretty sure that it was that mine, you know. And uh, I didn't have to teach her that. It just kind of came natural that, that, you know, when kids start fighting over things and adults, we fight over things. And I just want to say that if there are relationship problems in your life, maybe, uh, you know, it could be because either one of that of the, the persons in the midst of that relationship, either one or both or, or, you know, are not living by the Spirit of God, but instead, oftentimes, we are still being controlled by the sinful nature. I want you to think about that with me. For those of you who are struggling with a relationship, and probably all of us are, we probably all are in one way or another, if there's a relationship problem in your life, if we're gut-level honest, and we're not thinking about what everyone else has done to us, but if we're gut-level honest, so often, you know, if we're just honest, is that we as believers, we many times do not live a Spirit-filled life. We do not live a life that is controlled by the Spirit of God, but many times we are yielding still to the sin nature within us, the flesh within us. We're controlled by the flesh. When a marriage is controlled by two people who are living in their sin nature, you better watch out because it's going to be dangerous because someone's, someone's either is going to get hurt emotionally, sometimes physically. You'll see that happen. When a church is filled with Christians within it that are yielding to the sin nature and there's a selfishness about that spirit within them you better watch out because there's going to be problems in that church there's going to be problems with with in a friendship whenever whenever that sin nature is dominant within that and within that relationship when you begin to see relationships fracture when you start seeing this when the foundation starts to settle and crack and mess up a little bit there and it's affecting everything else you can always kind of boil it down to the fact that one or both parties are living in the flesh that's just typically the way that it goes someone's someone's living in the flesh not by the spirit of god and when i live in the flesh there's something that dominates my life and i want you to just take note of this this morning here's the third thing to write down when I live in the flesh, here is what the root of every relational problem is. It is absolutely self-centeredness. We get so self-centered, so focused on self and my rights and my needs and all of this, and this is all we think about and it consumes us. Self-centeredness is at the root of every conflict within our world. Self-centeredness is behind every argument that happens within the home, behind every relational strain. Someone is being selfish in some way, okay? That's, it's at the root of it. Behind every fracture within a friendship, when a friendship goes south and pride begins to creep in, there's some selfishness that's going on somewhere that begins to happen or a conflict that happens between believers, the root of every problem is self-centeredness. If there's a problem between a parent and a child, uh, there is a problem of self-centeredness on one or both parts. 
It is at the root of every relational strain. James chapter 4, we studied the book of James together last year. James chapter 4, we've read this before, but he points this out. Paul points this out. Now James is pointing this out. There's something to it. The Spirit of God has inspired these men to write this. Here's what it says. Do you know where your fights and your arguments, where they come from? They come from what? The selfish desires that are what? Warring within you. That battle that we talked about. You want things, but you do not have them, so you do what? You argue and you, you fight. You clash. It's at the root of everything, this self-centeredness. If you want to have great relationships with your friends, with your husband, with your wife, with, with your co-workers, with people that, that you go to school with, people within our church, if you want this to happen, where does it start? Our tendency is to think it starts with that other person. Pastor Bart, it starts with them. If they would just straighten up, everything would be okay. That's what we like to think, right? And in some, some ways, that's probably, there's truth in that. But you can't control the other person, can you? So where does it start? It starts within you. It starts inside of you. It starts inside of me. The thing we have to realize is you cannot do anything else about that other person. You only have the opportunity to make choices for yourself. You're not responsible to God for that other person's decisions. You're responsible to God for the decisions that you make, for the words that you say, for the attitudes that you carry. We answer to God for our own actions. And so what we have a tendency to do is to start thinking, man, boy, so-and-so really needs to hear this one today. You know, wish they were here to hear it because it would straighten them out, you know. And I just want to say that if we have that kind of spirit within us, we have the wrong spirit. Chances are, because you're thinking that way, you probably need it more. All right? I'm just saying. And uh, anyhow, instead, we we need to just sit here before God today and say, and look, if there's a strained relationship, if there's, and just say, God, is there some selfishness that's going on within, within my own heart? Is there something that's happening here? Now, you can certainly pray for that other person and pray that God begins to speak to them in the same way. That's one of the things that you can do for that other person is praying. But what we want to do is we want to honestly just sit or stand before God and say, God, what's going on in my relationships? How can I improve? Lord, what can, what can you do within me to bring, begin to change my attitudes and change my heart and change my relationships as I go into this upcoming new year? Every area of our life is stained with self-centeredness. It's the root of every relational problem. And you know what the, the root of self-centeredness is? Here's what it is. It's pride. Boy, that's a tough one, right? And the Bible, especially in the book of Proverbs, speaks so much about pride. It talks about pride and the problems that we have. And we know that the Bible talks about pride leading to destruction. And how many times have we seen that happen within friendships? That there was pride that emerged within a friendship and then the friendship's destroyed. Or a marriage is destroyed because there's pride that creeps in because of the selfishness. And a marriage is destroyed and a family is destroyed or a church is destroyed because of pride. Pride is something that the enemy uses so often to destroy things all around us. It's so destructive. It destroys so many different things. How many churches, I think, and wonder, have been divided and have been split over somebody being selfish in some way, whether it's a pastor who's being selfish and abuses his spiritual authority, or whether it's a staff that is territorial and, you know, this is how, what I do and you do that, or, or whether it's people who are on, on, in small groups and they get crossways within a group because maybe it's not going their way. Or How many times has a work of God been destroyed in, in a person's life or in a church's life because of selfishness and pride? And I just wonder about that. The Bible warns us over and over about the danger of this self-centeredness. Go back to Galatians 5. Go to verse 15. Look at what it says. Paul, again, talking to this church here, he says this. He says, if you keep biting and devouring each other. I think that's interesting, interesting terminology he uses here. You keep biting and devouring each other. You know, I thought about that. I thought, what is he, why is he using it like that? Why doesn't he say it another way? Biting and devouring. It reminded me of, uh, of uh, Norm, right, from, uh, from Cheers. What did he say? It's a dog-eat-dog world, and, I, and I, what kind of underwear do I have? Milk bone underwear, right? Okay? Biting and devouring one another. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. 
and, and, and people are chewing each other up. We chew each other up with the way that we talk to each other and the way that we treat each other. Uh, it's one of the things, you notice if you have animals, that animals, they're selfish, right? They're selfish. It's all about being, you know, the alpha dog or, or all about being top dog and, and everyone else falling in line. Here, here's the deal is that Paul is saying is that when we treat each other this way by biting and devouring each other, he says we're acting like animals. That's basically what he's saying. So we're not any different than the animals when we act this way. They're biting and devouring each other. And he says, watch out. And then he uses this interesting word. Or you will be destroyed. Destroyed. You know that the enemy, Satan, that he is called the, the destroyer? He's a destroyer. You'll be destroyed by each other. So who, who would we think would be kind of lining that up and directing that? Obviously, that would be, that would be the... Uh, uh, not the Spirit of God. So he says, so I say, what does he say to do? Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful or the selfish nature. If we don't get anything else, we need to get this. This is a primary truth that we need to understand today. The primary task of life is learning to be unselfish, right? It's learning to not be so self-centered and self-absorbed you know what I love? One of the things I love about the holidays and I love about Christmas is there's like this, this uh, even within those that are not believers, there's this generosity that just just boils up within so many of us. And we're so eager to give at Christmas time. And we want to give to other people and help. What, what, if, what would it be like if it was like that all the time as believers? Instead of just, you know, in the month of December. I think the Lord's called us to be a little different, not just in that one month, right? What if we were so filled with love with other people and concern with other people and not so self-absorbed within, our, our, you know, us getting ours this upcoming year or whatever? What if we were just consumed with blessing and loving other people all throughout the year as opposed to just in the month of December? Just think of how different things would be. But, but many times we're so consumed with me. Because we're consumed with me, we're not good listeners, so when people want to talk, we don't listen good. We're always texting. We're always looking at this. We don't pay attention to people. We do. You know what I'm saying? What, wouldn't it be a little easier if we had someone that could just constantly remind us, you know, if we were getting a little too focused in on me? Maybe someone like this. Watch this. Here at the National Institute of Student Ministries, our researchers have discovered a radical new method of addressing a shocking trend that has shaken the very foundation of this prestigious institution. Quite frankly, we didn't think it would work. You see, the mean linebacker is in existence because there's a crucial problem. You know what, bro? I don't really care. Today, it's all about me. The me linebacker deals directly with the me, 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 attitude. When it's about me, you gotta pay a fee. Booyah to the esophagus. Booyah to your medulla oblongata. Booyah to your pancreas, baby. Booyah, booyah, booyah. You see, we live in a culture that every commercial is telling you this. If you don't buy my product, you're not skinny enough. You're not tall enough. You're not buff enough. <gasps> Philippians 2, it's not about you. Hey, I'm just trying to I haven't been forever. I need to go spend some money on me. I need to go make it rain. I told Ouch. In one community alone, meism has dropped 75%. You were lost, but now you found <laughs> Not since the stock market crash of 29 has anything dropped faster. You see, but the linebacker is trying to kick it to you straight, Ron. The linebacker's here to blow the me out of you so the Christ can fill you. Hey, what are you doing? You want to come hang out after church? No, I think I'm going to go home and jizzam. Jizzam? You need to be focusing on the great I. The linebacker is here to promote thy will be done, not my will be done. It's not about communal me. It's about community. So, I really need help with my walk with the Lord, Anit. Anit? Your mama's talking to thee, your daddy's calling you, and you can't even hear him because you're texting. You're, you're texting. You're always on the phone. 
You see, what the linebacker does is when kids are in outer space, I give them a booyah of grace. But we've lost the capacity to communicate face to face. Put down your pod and give it to God. Expect it when you least expect it. For all of us here at NIFSM, no pain, no gain. All right, I uh, I watched a lot of football this week, okay, and it crept into my sermon preparation. Besides that, how about those frogs? How about those frogs? But, you know, maybe that wouldn't be so great to have someone like that reminding us, unless you were the linebacker, then that would be greatness, right, okay? You see, it's whenever we begin to cultivate this quality of, of, of what the Lord calls this, he speaks about this often, of dying to self. That is so foreign. It's so foreign to many of us, even those of us who are Christ followers. Dying to self. He says that, that, that we are to die to self. When we begin to cultivate this quality of dying to self and selflessness, what we, or selfishness, what we see is that, that, is that the relationships begin, something begins to happen within them as something is going on inside of us. That's what begins to happen here. I couldn't think of a better person that, that modeled a life of unselfishness more than Jesus. I mean, obviously, he is the classic example of someone who gave up everything, gave up his rights, gave up so much when he had so much to give, gave all of this up so that he could show us how to live a life of humility, a life that, that, uh, of, of brokenness, God wants you and I as Christ followers to live more like that this upcoming year, to live as Jesus lived. Paul writes about this in Philippians 2. He says this. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. I was thinking about that this week and just thinking how when I read that, my nature, my sin nature just cringes when I read that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than me? What? And so I started thinking about that. The reason that you can begin to do this is when you understand who you are in Jesus Christ as a believer, who you are in Christ, where you stand positionally before him, you're secure enough in yourself because of, of who you are in Jesus to begin to see other people differently. Instead of always trying to get ahead and promote yourself ahead of others and all of this, instead, you, you put Christ first. And, and, and here's what we see. He says, each one of you should not look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And now he's going to give us the great example of what Jesus did. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, or that also translates to be held on to. In other words, Jesus gave up his rights and became humble. goes on and he says, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That's what we're called to be as believers, as servants. Being made in human likeness. What would happen within a relationship? What would happen within a marriage if, if, if a couple was committed to serving one another? Not just one person being served all the time. And one person doing all the serving. What would happen if, if there was a, as we read in Ephesians, where Paul does say, husbands, he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for a right before that. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. And, but do you know if you back up even, even further in verse 21, do you know what it says? He says this, submit to one another. What would happen in relationships if we, if we were submissive to one another? Rather than, woman, you're going to submit to me, you know, or whatever. What would happen in that relationship if we, as husbands, if we loved our wives so much the way that Jesus loved the church? What would happen if we died to self? Because that's what Jesus did, right? He came and he, and he died to self. It goes on and he says, he, he says, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. What did he do? He humbled himself, humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He chose this attitude. It's an attitude that as believers we are called to, to imitate Christ within that. 
but, but we're so different. We're, we, we, this sin nature, for most of us, many of us, it dominates us, and it's all about me, and it's all about me getting mine, and my rights, and my needs, and all of this. That's what we hear over and over again. He yielded. Jesus yielded. He yielded to the greater good. He died to himself. He put aside his rights and his needs. Jesus is our model. He didn't act prideful. He washed the disciples' feet. Do you remember that? That was a great model for us to serve each other. Even when we're being done wrong by somebody, He still washed their feet. He still washed the feet of Judas that was going to betray Him just hours later. He still washed Peter's feet, and Peter was going to deny Him. He still washed the feet of those that would run away and desert Him. This is just an incredible thing when we look at Jesus as our model. It's who we strive for. So we've established this, okay? I'm going to give you some takeaways as we get ready to go. We've established this, that our relationships are important to God, right? We know that. We talk about it. We read it in the Scriptures. But they are messed up, and they're messed up because of our sin and that we're, we're sinners. And then the other thing we've looked at is that, is that at the center of my, my sin nature is my own selfishness, which ultimately affects all of my relationships. So what I want to encourage you to do right now is just to begin to, to, to really just start looking at, at some of the relationships. For some of you, a, a relationship was not, a, that's messed up, it was not hard for that to come to your mind. Some of you, automatically, you were like, oh boy, here we go. You know, this is exactly what I needed to hear today. So the question is, we know these truths have been established, but what do we do about them? How do we respond to this? Is it possible? Is it even possible in this upcoming year, and from here on out, for us to have the kind of relationships that God desires for us to have? Is it, is it possible? How do I learn to be other-centered instead of so self-absorbed and self-centered? It's certainly not in my nature. Can I be this way? Well, let me just give you a couple of takeaways if you're taking notes. If, and I just want to tell you this. If we, and notice I say we, if we will put these into practice, I want to tell you something, that your relationships and my relationships will absolutely be transformed by the power of God. They will be changed. If we put these things we're going to talk about right here, the takeaways and practical application, if we begin to do this, you'll see your relationships begin to change. Here's the first thing. If I'm going to become more other-centered, here's the thing. is I've got to face up and own my sinful nature. I've got to realize that, 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 that I've got a sin problem. Instead, what we often do is, is everyone else's. We point out everyone else's flaws, everyone else's sin. If they would straighten up this relationship, and probably they do need to straighten up. They're messed up too. But the reality is, is that we are sinners also. We are sinners. And so we, problem, we have a problem with this. We have to admit that we have a problem with it. You can't begin to fix it until you admit that it's there. The sin comes so natural for, for us. John writes in 1 John, if we claim to be without sin, he says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, you're not going to deceive God because God knows what's going on inside your heart. You're probably not going to deceive other people, especially the people that are closest to you because they know you and they can see kind of some of the things that are going on within you. But I think it's interesting that we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're not sinful and in thinking that we're not in the wrong and thinking that we are, 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 are okay. We can deceive ourselves. And he says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is, is that we all have a sin problem and it mars our relationships if you want a better relationship, then you're going to have to ask God for a deeper awareness of your own self-centeredness. That would be a good thing to pray as you're sitting there. God, begin to help me to take note. You don't need the me linebacker, okay? You've got the Holy Spirit of God that can begin to speak to you when that selfishness starts to creep in. You begin to say, God, give me a deeper awareness of my own selfishness this year. Help me to see that. When self begins creeping in, this is a great psalm that David prayed. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Not search everyone else, God, and know their hearts. Check out everybody else and all their problems. No, he says, he gets real before God, and he says, try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way within me. Lead me in the way, of ever, uh, the way everlasting. That's the first thing. as a thing for you to take away is just saying, and I've got some sin issues that I need to deal with. Some things that are affecting me spiritually. 
Here's another thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's your takeaway is I've got to face up to some disappointments that are in my life, and we all have them. There have been some disappointments in, in some relationships that you have, and I have to face up to the fact that I've been hurt in certain ways, and there's been self-centeredness within that. You see, you can't deal with the self-centeredness without dealing with some of your disappointments and getting to the fact that there's been some disappointments. But we just kind of push it down. We don't want to deal with it. We've all been disappointed by somebody at one time or another. Some of you have been disappointed by a husband or by a wife, or, or maybe your marriage has not turned out the way that you expected and hoped it would, and, and you haven't wanted to face that, but now you're being confronted with it. In some way, it will always bring itself forward in some way, and you need to deal with that. You need to be able to look at that and deal with that disappointment. Some of you, maybe you're disappointed with a, with a child who maybe has become rebellious, and, and you're struggling with that disappointment by watching them, and you're living with disappointment because you hurt for them. Some of you have been disappointed by a parent. You may even be an adult here, and you're still disappointed by something that happened between you and your parents. Or maybe you're even ashamed of something that your parents did, or, or they were an addict in some way, or maybe abusive, or mentally unstable. Or Some of you are still carrying the wounds of disappointment because of a relationship that was broken between your mom and your dad, and you're still struggling with that today. There's some disappointments that you're dealing with there. You know what I've realized is that life is incredibly disappointing. It really is, and I don't mean to just really just kind of throw a big wet blanket on whatever fire you've got today, but it really can be disappointing at times, especially whenever people are involved. And the fact is, is that we all let each other down, we all mess up, we all hurt each other, and it, it can be disappointed and disappointing. And you know the root of what the root of the disappointment often is is unmet expectations. If they would just do this, then we would be okay. You know, unmet expectations. And so what we do is we project upon another person some expectations that often only God can fill within our life. Only God can fill those certain expectations. And so we project it all upon this other person and saying, if you'll, if you'll be this way, and, and, and that's not going to resolve things. That's not going to help things. As long as I continue to look to other people to always be meeting my needs I'm going to be disappointed. God will not disappoint you when it comes to meeting your needs. So we've got to get gut level honest about the disappointments we've had. I want you to think about them for just a minute. Think about the disappointments that you have to deal with and that you're, that you're struggling with. And maybe you think about that person that has disappointed you in some way. And we need to realize that only God can meet our needs. Only God can meet our deepest needs. So when we stop expecting so much from everyone else to kind of make us be okay and feel okay, something will happen within us as we begin to deal with that. Here's another thing, okay? If you're a believer, here's what I encourage you to take away from this today is that you are called by God to follow the Spirit's leading. This is, this is a mandate that Paul gives us in Ephesians. He says to be filled with the Spirit of God. You are mandated by God to follow the Spirit's leading. In fact, he says, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be controlled. Let it affect your speech, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you treat other people. Back to Galatians. Look at what he says but in verse 18. He says, but when you are directed by the Spirit, not the nature, not the sin nature, when you are directed by the Spirit of God, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses because that's what these other guys are trying to tell him. Okay? He's saying, no, God's grace is great here. He says, so when you're directed by the Spirit of God, you're not under that obligation anymore. Verse 19 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, I want you to notice how, how just very selfish all of these acts are. The results of you following your sin nature are very clear. Sexual immorality. Okay, that's, that's, that's very selfish, right? Whenever affairs happen and whenever, whenever cheating happens and whenever there's, or whenever there's other kinds of, of sexual immorality to there. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. It's all about me. Okay? Idolatry. Sorcery. Now, notice that it starts turning into like angry type things here. Hostility. Quarreling. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition. Dissension. Division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. He says, let me tell you again, and as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So what's the result when I follow the Spirit of God as I'm mandated to in the Scriptures, by, as Paul shows us in Ephesians? What, what's the result of that? Well, here's what happens whenever we as believers are following the Spirit of God. We're let, letting the Spirit of God just, just come boil up within us. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. That's an agape love. That's an unconditional love. Joy. That's joy no matter what your circumstances may be in life. Peace. That kind of helps with the anxiety problems that we all have, right? Patience. Well, that's a big one in relationships right there, right? Patience. He goes on. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Boy, faithfulness and loyalty are big in a relationship. True? Gentleness. And self-control. He says, there is no law against these things. In other words, if, if you're doing these things, you don't have to have all these rules and regulations because it takes care of itself. The Spirit of God is living within you. So as we yield our life to the Spirit of God, this is what it produces in our life, those things we just read. So let me ask you something. Does that characterize you if you're a Christ follower? Does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, does that, does that characterize you as, as a believer? Or would you have a tendency to follow more along in, uh, with the things that we read prior to that, the acts of the sinful nature? I think what happens so often in our relationships is they are so much more characterized by the acts of the sinful nature than what we just read about the fruit of the Spirit, either by one or by both parties involved in the relationship. How different would our relationships be, husband, wife, friends, or, 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 or parents and child, co-workers, people within the church? How different would our relationships be if they were characterized by what we read about the fruit of the Spirit? Think about that with me. How different would your life be? How different could 2011 be for you if there was more of a characterization of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? He goes on and he says this in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, what does it say? They have what? Have nailed. Have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and have cruci- and, 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 and to his cross and crucified them there. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Do you notice the, the tense if you're into grammar and all that, okay? What is the tense of when this happened? It's past tense, right? If you're a believer, do you know that that's, that's already happened for you? I have been crucified with Christ. My, these things, these passions and desires, the sinful nature, they have been crucified with Jesus when he hung on the cross. You see, what I have to realize as a believer every day is I have to die to self, take up my cross, and follow Jesus, even in my relationships even in the way that I respond to other people. So which, which of these two describes your relationships? He goes on and he says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives, including our relationships. Let us not become conceited. That's, that's when we turn, turn uh, this arrogance begins to creep in. Pride does, pride does. Or provoke one another. Or be jealous of one another. He goes on. As, and we just see the fruit of the Spirit at work or the works of the flesh. What is it for you? If you've trusted Christ, then what we need to ask God for is a greater awareness of, of, of this next thing here. Here's the very last thing, if your takeaway for today. As a Christ follower, if you're going to begin to see a change in your relationships, we need a greater awareness of God's grace in our own life. We really need to understand God's grace. That's what this whole book of Galatians is about, God's grace. Whenever, whenever the, the book or, or the song Amazing Grace was about, it was because the man who wrote this, John Newton, understood how much he had been saved by Jesus, how much sin had been in his life and God's grace. It's so amazing. And, and that's what Paul is saying is that as a believer, when you begin to understand how much you have been forgiven, you start looking at other people and maybe when they sin against you, you look at it a little bit differently. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. When I come come to an understanding of how much I've been forgiven, how much grace has been extended to me in my own life and the mistakes that I have made, my response by God's Spirit is to extend a little bit more grace to others. What I am convinced of is that so many of us, even as believers, we grow numb to the grace of God. We just kind of start taking it for granted. 
We just grow numb to it. And so then when other people do things to us, we're so quick to jump on somebody else. And, and you know, God, God needs to get a hold of our heart. That's why we're so quick to anger, outbursts of anger. We're quick to these kinds of things. In closing, I just want to share with you just a story about an incredible woman of God. This lady's name is Corey Ten Boom. I've shared this story before, but it's just so powerful. Because I know what some of you are thinking this morning. You're thinking, yes, I've got relationship problems. Thank you, Pastor, for pointing that out. I'm really excited about the new year, okay? And, uh, and I know what some of you may be thinking. You may be thinking, there's nothing that can be done about this. There's no way that anything can happen that can make... The, and, and I want you to know something, and I don't mean to encourage you even more in this way, but, but you're right. There is nothing that can be done about it if it is contingent upon your power. What you need is a Holy Spirit intervention within your life and in that relationship. And I want to share with you what God did in this lady's life. If you, never know, if you don't know much about her, she, uh, she was a Dutch watchmaker's daughter. She was imprisoned by the Nazis in 1944 for her whole family. They were hiding Jews from the Germans during the the Jewish Holocaust. Her whole family, they were not Jews, but they were just, because they were believers, were helping these, these Jews out and were hiding them away and from the Nazis. And her whole family, they were discovered by the Nazis and they were imprisoned. And all of them, except for her, they all died at the hand of the Nazis, except for Corey. She was a Christian, and the strength of her Christianity was put at its greatest test while she went through Ravensbrück concentration camp. Um, She was released miraculously. As I said, the rest of her family died. She was released miraculously, and uh, she went on just, just to be able to share God's grace and her story with so many hundreds of thousands of people. She's written some great books, and and she was often confronted with forgiving. This was something that she struggled with and dealt with and forgiving some of those who had, had harmed her family and had done these cruel, horrible things to her. She wrote an article that was entitled, I'm Still Learning to Forgive. And I want to read you an excerpt from this article. And I want you to think about your own relationships. And you may think, man, what this person has done to me is unforgivable. It's something I will never forgive in any way. Or there's no way this relationship can be mended. There's no possibility. I want you to hear what what Corey Ten Boom wrote about this. She said, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, just three years after she'd even been in this camp, okay? It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives and that His grace abounds. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and in silence they collected their wraps, and in silence they left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next I saw a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It all came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail uh, form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women that were in this camp? But I remembered him and the leather club swinging from his belt. 
I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out, and he asked, Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven. Now I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew this. The message that God forgives as a prior condition that if we forgive those who have injured us, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it was not only a command of God, but as a daily experience since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to to also return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what their physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness and remained, they remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. This is where she talks about the forgiveness. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But Lord, you must supply the feeling. And so woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. By the way, you need to read her stuff because it's powerful. So you're thinking, man, I've been hurt, Bart. You have no idea. I don't have any idea. You're right. God understands it. He knows. My point in sharing this story today, and I know it took a little time to do do this, but I felt led to today. My point in sharing this is that I realize that some of you, your relationships, they seem so broken. They seem so messed up. They seem so beyond repair. And you're thinking, this message is just, I can't do it. It's not possible. You're right. You can't. But the power, the same power that gave this humble woman like Corey Ten Boom the, the ability to be able to forgive someone as she yielded to the Spirit of God, as she chose to die to self, this is the same power, the same Holy Spirit that's made available to you and your relationships today. Do you know that? The same Holy Spirit, the same power. I want to ask us just to pray this morning. As we close in prayer, How are your relationships? We're going to spend time this month looking at these. How are they in your home or at work or in your church family? How are your relationships in your life group with fellow believers? How might God be speaking to you today? How about with with a parent? If you're a teenager this morning, I know that relationships with parents can be strained. Or if you're an adult and a relationship could be strained with one of your parents as well. Are there ways that maybe you've been selfish? Have you been focusing so much on the other person and all that they've done to hurt you or say? That, and they probably they have hurt you. They probably have said some things. And, and, and if we lived in a world without grace, it would be unforgivable. But praise God for His grace in our life. You know, when we sang Jesus paid it all, you know, He not only paid for all of your sins, but He paid for everyone else's sins too. He died for those sins. 
That same Holy Spirit power is made available to you in your relationships today. You've been walking in the flesh or by the Spirit of God. Some of you would say, Pastor Bart, I'm really struggling uh, in some relationships. You don't have to tell me what they are or who they're with or anything like that. But if you just say, would you just pray with me today? Because the Lord has definitely spoken to me about this area in my life. Would you just pray with me? Would you just lift your hands this morning and say, that's me, Pastor. Would you pray for me? Nobody else looking around. Just very, just very humbly, just lift your hand and say, I just want to ask you to pray with me today. God bless you. I want to just say thank you for your honesty. Can we just take, take that to the Lord right now? Let's take it to the Lord. You just pray this in your heart. Dear Jesus, tell him this. Lord, I need a new heart. I need a new heart. Lord, I need you to replace selfishness, Lord, that can prevail within me. Fill it, Lord, my heart with your loving and forgiving and unselfish heart. With the love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, I just want to see that fruit come out in my life this year. Lord, I yield my life to you. I want to die to self, even I died to self in my own relationships, God. Today I've realized how self-centeredness, Lord, it stains every area of our life and my life. I just want to ask you to fill me, Lord, with the things that Paul talks about, the fruit of the Spirit. I receive that in faith, Lord, just as I receive my salvation. I also receive in faith, God, that my sin nature was crucified on the cross with Jesus. And it's dead. Lord, I have a new spirit that lives inside of me. Father, I want to pray for the relationships in our church this month, the relationship in our families. Lord, may this just be a month where you just go to work on these relationships within us, Lord. May we just open ourselves up to you as we hear from you, from your word. Your, your word is so powerful, God. I thank you, Lord, that you care about our relationships. Lord, I know when our relationships aren't right, Lord, it affects everything. So, Lord, give us the courage to stick with it this month, to stick with it, to stick with this, to grow in you in this area. Give us the courage to face these things. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Why don't you stand?